On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we witness a horrific miscarriage of justice in Netflix's When They See Us, look back at the Wall Street crash in Sky's Black Monday, and prepare for the end of the world entirely, as Amazon's Good Omens brings a comedy antichrist into our midst. Plus an hour of assorted TV chat that will not, despite my protestations, include a forensic two-hour breakdown of the Picard teaser, which graced us with its presence this week. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, recorded back at its usual time, since we no longer have to hit the studio in the wee hours of Monday morning to break down Game of Thrones. Speaking of which... Terry White, who rejoins us today, having bailed on the final throne splaining session, has still not seen the final Whoa. episode. Terry, Correct. explain yourself. Well, so I was going to watch it um, when I got back from Spain. I was in Spain last weekend. Uh, and it wasn't on Spanish telly. So I was going to watch it when I came home, and then I came home really late and had to, you know, go to work. And then uh, basically I just haven't had time. And I kind of did that thing where I tried to not read any spoilers on Twitter, which was basically impossible. So I started reading the odd thing, and then I basically knew what happened, and it was kind of pointless. Um, (laughs) So I'm just not going to watch it at all, I don't think. So are you now done with Thrones, or are you going to go back to the beginning, watch the whole thing and then finally see the finale at the end of that that's my temptation so although mm. i've got such a one one glotch which a long watch list at the moment that i don't feel any pr- uh, yeah i'm gonna say yes with the full knowledge that it's never gonna happen wow our relationship was brief tempestuous and full of contradictions yeah. it like makes me much else in my life upset and anxious that you joined us for the last for our Game of Thrones and then bailed before the end it's just you know I mean you know I'm a woman in charge of my own destiny but I, I see what you mean though if, if if once you know once you've seen all the people talking about it yeah and it's out there and you kind of know what's happened what's the point what is the point in it yeah, <sighs> yeah. it wounds me whereas you know in eight years time once you've watched the rest of it then you're all forgotten mm. Joining Terry and myself is Pilot TV's very own Mad King. You witnessed the full force of his rage last week as he bathed me in dragon fire when we disagreed over Daenerys' story arc. The bells were ringing, but he just didn't care. It's Boyd Hilton. I've had so many people on Twitter say to me, I've never heard you so angry and um, worked up as you were when you were telling James that he was talking shit. You were enraged. I was enraged. Can I just say as well, I've been giving a series of... um, Talks to like um, people about how brilliant TV Anger management, is. is it? No, no, no. About how brilliant TV is, right? General kind of things that you know, just telling, saying to people, "Oh, this TV is the best thing ever." Yeah, and it's getting better than ever. And I and I picked, I picked clips. I had to pick clips for this talk, which I've been giving regularly weeks ago. And I picked a clip of Bran being thrown out of the window in the very first episode Did of you? Game of Thrones. And now I've matched it with a clip from the final season of Game of Thrones. So people think I did it deliberately, knowing that I think I knew that Bran would end up. Spoiler alert! <laughs> but I didn't. How wow. good was that? What? So I Terry, Terry wasn't listening. Good, I'm glad she was no. listening because she hasn't seen the final episode That's of Game true. of Thrones and that That's would have true. ruined yeah. it. Yeah. You just yeah. spoiled Game of Thrones for Terry, but in, in weird sort of preemptive self-defence, she was, what are you doing? Scribbling in a notebook, ordering your lunch? What are you doing? Still ordering my lunch. Yeah. Um, it is nine minutes past three. We were meant to start this podcast at two o'clock. We were. Uh, we were a little bit busy with someone else upstairs and then it was too late to get a sandwich. I ordered a sandwich to be delivered. That sandwich never showed up. I reordered another sandwich, which I will at some point break from this podcast to go and eat and shove in my fat gob. So... <laughs> You know, there's yeah. a lot going on in my life. I'm right likening now. Terry's sandwich gate um, yeah. saga so, to an episode of a great like <laughs> thought comedy. In fact, you're about to ask us what we're watching, right? So I'm going to preempt that by saying, "Still Barry, Barry finale f- happened this week, season two. It was absolutely fucking brilliant, and this series has gone from really, really good season one to absolutely extraordinary season two. And I think there could be an episode where he doesn't get his sandwich delivered and he assassinates the the person responsible. Well, Terry's quite hangry, so one yeah. of us could get assassinated. I am hangry. Yeah. I'm very hangry. Um, I've been waiting for this sandwich for now an hour and 15 minutes. What's in I'm, the sandwich, Terry? It's ham and cheese toasty, like all good mm, sandwiches classic. are. Oh, I mean, okay. it would be classic if it arrived. <laughs> it won't. Before we get on to uh, what we're watching, I'd like to announce a new Pilot TV regular. Oh, here we go. Oh, that, you haven't that, told us about. One. Yep, oh, classic. Yep, yep, yep. We haven't got enough <laughs> fairly mediocre regulars that you and Boyd always forget to do, so let's add in another yep, one. Yep. I, I this, never uh, forget. Don't don't tar me with that 
James Dyer brush. This this new regular is called Where's My DI, in which we scour hit shows each week to find out which one Line of Duty's DI Brandis is hiding in. Uh, this week's winner, Chernobyl. Fair enough, yeah. See what I did yeah. there? That's yeah. good. She's on a roll. She is on a roll. She is on a roll. Laura Elphinstone, who is basically cropping up in everything. That's weird, isn't it? How yeah. suddenly you, saw, you see this face in every single TV show. I wonder if it's coincidence or suddenly she got a new agent. But this is a thing. I don't think this is the case here, but this used to be a thing that happened. You often used to see it with certain actors in American shows mm. where during pilot season, you'd get character actors who would just turn up in all of the shows yeah. playing certain roles. Okay, so for example, Stephen Culp, who played uh, Speaker Halfley in The West Wing, was, oh, also, he was also one of the Makos in, uh, in Star Trek Enterprise. Like, he turned up in a whole bunch of stuff around the same time. Yeah. Um, it's happened quite a lot. Titus Welliver, there was a period where Titus, Titus Welliver was turning up in everything as well. You know, he, again, it's, it's you, good people yeah. crop up everywhere. Yeah. Because everyone realises they're good. And now it is currently D.I. Brandis' turn. D.I. Brandis, yeah. So, uh, yes. I mean, we probably should call her by her real name, but that's fine. I'd rather just keep referring to her by <laughs> her official you title. Do that. I think it's a mark of respect. You do that. Um, go on then, Boyd. What else have you been watching apart from Barry? Um, I'll pretty much just Barry. So, I, yeah, I preempted. Um, I've been watching loads of stuff for. Um, we're currently at the other. You know, we're currently in the middle of production on um, the next issue of Pilot TV magazine, so we've been watching loads of stuff for that. Yeah. And um, I hosted a screening this week of a Black Mirror episode, the Miley Cyrus Black Mirror episode. I think we're, I think I'm heavily embargoed um, from reviewing it until the day before it comes out, and we will be reviewing it probably in the next uh, episode of this very we show. Will. But let me just say, it's so fascinating what they've done with Miley Cyrus, and um, the series also includes an Andrew Scott based episode, which is extraordinary, and um, a Anthony Mackie episode which is even which is the most amazing one of all wow more than that i cannot say exciting stuff i still haven't really watched black mirror but maybe i'll start with this that's pretty incredible so i i you said this to me the other day i'm i find it i'm fairly surprised that a man of your tastes <laughs> has snubbed black mirror i have I, I watched bandersnatch obviously yeah and i've seen the pig fucker one the first one right um, and then what you, was it called? It's not called Pigfoot. No, State of the Nation. Well, or, that one. I've seen the yeah. very first one. Yeah. But again, I think one of these, because it's not an ongoing story, oh, and you I know see. I have a thing about that, like, yeah. about, about long-form stories. I mean, I forget that you had to think yeah. about that. But Promiscuous yeah. storytelling right. just doesn't really do it for no, me, okay. so I, I kind of, I never really press it. I will do, like it's on my list, but it's just, it's a, mm. lo it's a long list. It's really good. <laughs> Terry, what have you uh, what have you been watching? I watched um, the second episode of Years and Years, and I have to say, my God, like it's, good, it's it? oh, I couldn't sleep afterwards. It infected my brain, and I so loved it. So, so I mean, we talked about the first episode, and I loved the first episode, but bloody hell episode two and I just like I've been storing up um, uh, later ones to watch this weekend I'm going to spend I've got like a whole morning tomorrow morning where I'm just yeah. going to watch the next two episodes I, like just oh let me just say now four OMG episode four <laughs> is it's going to really? mess with your brain oh yeah. it's very very good. and I just I, you know I just still can't get over like you know the sex scenes between men it's brilliant <laughs> on mainstream telly yeah. like not soft and gentle it's like raw and kind of angry mm. and just brilliant and yeah, oh god he's done such a good job <laughs> yeah. can't argue with that one uh, I've been watching the 2000 sci-fi miniseries Frank Herbert's Dune oh, oh my god uh, yeah. parody well perhaps anyone who listens to the Empire podcast will know that I have on occasion mentioned that there's a film coming out based you on, made on this podcast as well. I might have done yeah well anyway so I watched the miniseries which in historically I've always defended because uh, David Lynch's 80s adaptation of this movie adaptation of Dune is dreadful and <laughs> I've often said oh no the sci-fi miniseries is actually really good it's a much more faithful adaptation yada 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 <laughs> and it's one of these things that now that 19 years has passed I watch it and my god is it terrible like it's yeah. so bad. I watched it at the time. Yeah, and I you, like you, unbelievably. <laughs> I was a fan of June. The novel. I read it when I was a, a young kiddie wink. And this miniseries put you off. And the miniseries was so absolutely shit. It's, it was production values are shocking. Yes. It was, there was a period, wasn't there, where, where there, there were quite a few American miniseries of really big... Well, sci-fi in particular. Sci-fi, things them, yeah. like the Stephen King ones. Yeah. And they were off, they were just didn't have the budget to mm. do what the fuck they wanted to do. 
And I feel like that's probably one of the big changes in TV because now they can. Yeah, now they now, can. So now you're like, oh, yeah, do it now. It's fine. You but it's like probably... the CG effects are of its era, but it's like yeah. costume design is absolutely shocking. Oh, and they've done this thing now, now in Dune, like the Fremen have these blue eyes. And th- looking at it, I think the way they did it, they gave them like neon contact lenses and waved an ultraviolet light in front of them. And I think that's how they did the effect. That's so it's good. a really weird, I mean, it's 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 a real ramshackle production and the dialogue is shocking. But, you know, um, so I won't be watching that again. No. Uh, and that was my week. But let us press on. Uh, it's been off for a while, but this week, Funny or Dire returns. Oh, it back? Triumphant with, wait for it, the show finale of The Big Bang Theory. Oh, Christ. So I forget who suggested this, but someone accosted me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago and demanded that I watch this because the last ever Big Bang Theory came out. It's like, it's been going, it's 12 years, was it? So it's like series 12, episode 24 or something. It's actually a two-parter, so it'd be 23 and 24. Um, I should say it's been a while for me for the Big Bang Theory. So I watched it when it started Mm. and I maybe watched the first three, four, maybe five. Right, listen. She stopped. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, Timmy That's the sound of Terry doing fucking emails. That's what that is. I think she's sending a letter of complaint to the. Is, is that, are you emailing Deliveroo or Deliveroo or something? Do not give them any plugs. They do not deserve it. Where's my fucking sandwich? Where's my sandwich. My hour and twenty minute sandwich. The one with the sandwich. Oh. Right, Terry. Can I can I interest you in in the Pilot TV podcast? Maybe. Do you okay, wanna, I'm listening. Do you want to listen to listening. a bit of this? Maybe. I mean, to be oh, fair, you've. You're listening just as you've tuned in yeah. to the next is funny or dire, which yeah. you know. Don't, don't, don't oh, God, is this us... back? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us now, Terry White. Uh yeah, so Terry, in case you weren't listening, I watched the finale of the Big Bang Theory, the very final episode. My of the food's Big Bang here, Theory. bye. Oh my god. <laughs> Terry is now leaving the studio to get her sandwich. We will give you live updates on this ham and cheese feast as things develop. The last time this happened, we didn't see it for an hour. All right. Stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. You join us now for the live opening of the sandwich. It looks quite greasy, Terry. There is grease soaking through the bag. Wow. Oh, it's, oh, it's a proper toasty. It's a proper toasty, toasted on both sides. It's good. Is it nice? Uh, <laughs> Is it all you dreamed it would be? Uh, I, mean, I think we share the relief all round. Yeah. Maybe it's, because I've been wa- Maybe it's because I've been waiting so long. But fuck me, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I, I forget where we left this. I don't. You were about to do Funny or Die, the, oh, the, the feature we thought had all, everyone thought had died. Yeah, back by popular demand, by, you know, the popular yeah. demand of precisely no one. Um, as I was saying, I used to watch Big Bang Theory back in the beginning, and I stopped watching it on account of the fact that it used to bore me senseless, which is weird because you would think this was nailed on, James, because mm. it's it's... Immersed in nerd culture, there's Game of Thrones references in it. They're bang on about Star Trek and superheroes. It seems like it's it's very me. The whole thing's built around Star Trek. At least it was in the early days. Yeah, lots of it. You know, it's got Will Wheaton in it. You know, and, yeah. but I didn't. Isn't Spock been in it? Can I uh, imagine that. I don't remember. Okay, I don't remember. I remember Preston. He might well have been actually. Yeah, I, think so. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I stopped watching it a long time ago. Never picked it up again. But I did. I came back for this two-part finale in which. Spoiler for if anyone hasn't seen it, but really, it's the Big Bang Theory. Amy and Sheldon jointly win the Nobel Prize for Physics <laughs> and <laughs> have to go and accept the Nobel Prize. I quite like that. Uh, yeah, so that's the thing that happens. Uh, what else happens? Uh, Sheldon acts like a bellend. That's fairly standard. Um, Buffy's in it. <laughs> yeah, Buffy Buffy makes okay. a cameo appearance. See, Terry's now suddenly listening. Yeah. Wasn't listening, heard the word Buffy. Now she's yeah. back. Uh, yeah, Buffy's in it. It's but Okay, so here's the thing. Did, I, did this make me laugh? Obviously not. Don't be ridiculous. But there's so many reasons why. And this didn't just not make me laugh. It didn't even make me feel amused. So like, wow. you know, like when you watch it, when, when you've got like many times you watch a comedy, but like, oh, this is funny. I'm not laughing. But you know, it's funny. Like mm. deep down, you're, you're kind you of amused. You do not have that experience many times. Okay. Well, occasionally in the past. Okay. It's once or twice it's happened. So, but I'm watching this. I'm like, I'm not only not laughing. I'm in no way amused and I'm barely entertained. And this was at one point like the biggest show on TV in the US, wasn't it? Yeah. And I have to ask the question, why? Um, I think it just became like, all, like American sitcoms, you know, they often take off, don't they? So when everyone gets to feel they know a character after, you know, 48 episodes of something, you know, yeah. usually often in its third season, 
you know, I feel like I had something with Parks and Rec probably happened with Seinfeld off the top of my head. Yeah. All these shows like that, once you get to know the characters, then it, they kind of fly for people and it, and it becomes like a giddy pleasure, I feel, at their best, these shows. And I think often the writing matches that moment. Like, you know, the kind of writers know the characters better and they start writing for the actors and it all becomes a great thing. But I think, and, and so I think that did happen with Big Bang Theory. Um, but then it did tail off of it because I remember I watched quite a lot of it in its heyday and now I feel as soon as it comes on, I've, I'm like, oh, I don't want to see any more, any more of that. Once you take against something, it, then it's like you just don't want to I see I have it. a theory though which is America is super traditional and quite boring. And so something like Big, Bang, Big Bang Theory just flourishes because um, yeah. most people are stupid. On behalf of the Pilot TV podcast, I would like to apologise officially to all of our American listeners. Terry does not speak for the Pilot TV podcast. Um, there are generalisations and there are generalisations. Yeah. America. Like, indeed. Um, is one of them. So clearly... Okay, North America. The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> emblematic, apparently, of everything that's wrong with the United States. So the thing with the Big Bang Theory, though, is there's a few things. First of all, I guess the fact that I have in the past been, shall we say, compared to Sheldon Cooper, maybe doesn't help. Um, ah. Surprise me. That's the thing that's come up before. Um, um, but uh, I think the main issue with this is twofold. Like one, it's my problem with sitcoms generally in that this, the tone doesn't work for me. Like it's so forced. It's so unnatural. People don't talk like that. Like it just doesn't feel real. Like every gag feels forced and inorganic. And I don't find that funny because it takes place in this weird altered state where you're supposed to find comedy amusing. Whereas I think organic comedy that comes out of drama where it's believable, relatable comedy is inherently funnier because you can you can relate to it. In this, you absolutely can't. And so I, I, I'm, it, I didn't find it hateful or anything, but I did not like it. However, point two is the bit where I don't find hateful exactly, but <laughs> point two is a bit that I, I struggled with originally. I think this may have been why I stopped watching it. Big Bang Theory is quite sexist and creepy. And this is something I remember mm. from when I watched it originally. And it is, and it hasn't changed. That, oh, is, that is okay. still there. It definitely was to start with. I thought in the end they kind of, didn't they? Because well, they, they bring in a lot of women into the car. Yeah. <laughs> and it suddenly made them the ones but who even are in this, there's geniuses. a bit where Bernadette makes a, a reference to Penny, something about, oh, I've seen you drinking in the shower. And Howard goes, you didn't tell me you showered together. And then she kind of rolls her eyes and went, oh, Howard, you're so, ugh. And he's like, that wasn't a no. And I'm like, oh my God, it's 2019. What's wrong with you? Welcome to telly. Welcome to films. Welcome to life. <laughs> I think that's the sound of Terry putting an end to this feature. Yeah. In case you hadn't noticed, <laughs> listeners, the ham sandwich does not seem to have worked. Um, we are still at DEFCON 1. <laughs> so yeah, so that was the finale of the Big Bang Theory which frankly I did not find big banging fair enough yeah sorry so that's a fail if you'd like to pit your favourite comedy against my impenetrable wall of humorlessness then do feel free to tweet me at James C. Dyer with the hashtag funny or dire and state both the series and the episode that you want me to watch now before we go off into news we have a competition this week did we? yeah we got a competition did we? if you would like to win a ham and cheese sandwich <laughs> no no that's not actually the competition oh, uh, we have an actual that's, that's competition quite a good impro that was <laughs> we have an actual competition and it doesn't come from any of those bordery <laughs> companies so we've got a lovely framed still uh, from Game of Thrones to give away specifically a huge framed close up of undead Viserion uh, what's more, it is signed by several members of the cast as well. I, I can't think of a better way of saying goodbye to one of the best shows ever made than by putting a giant zombie dragon on your wall. So to be in with a chance of winning this framed picture. It's fake. No, it's not. I'm, this is not a gag. There's not like a, there's no payoff I'm coming. I'm like waiting for it. I'm like, oh. This upstairs is in the office. You know that big box that was by my desk? That's yeah. it. That's the thing. So, right. So answer the following question for me. Okay, wait for it. What are the Lannisters' house words? Simply head over to Twitter and tweet us at PilotTVMag with the answer using the hashtag DragonComp. And I should point out, for everyone listening and for the people who donated that picture, the Game of Thrones, the final season, is available to digitally download now. The first news item I would like to discuss is the fact that uh, Terry has pastry all down her front <laughs> and hasn't noticed. There we go. Well done. That's now gone. There's really, I think we can all agree, I don't know what's going wrong with this week's podcast. And I really should apologise to everyone for it. It's gone off the rails very early. So there really is only one piece of news this week. Oh, here we go. The first teaser yes. for Picard did drop. And oh my God, was it a thing of beauty. It was the greatest thing that's ever happened. Um... <laughs> It shows 
Jean-Luc Picard retired in his vineyard in France growing grapes to make Chateau Picard wine. Uh, and he alludes to the, uh, or it is alluded to, a voiceover alludes to the fact that he, when he retired from Starfleet as an admiral, there was a hoo-ha. And presumably that hoo-ha will be the subject of Star Trek Picard. How excited were you about this, Boyd? Um, I, I, do you know what? I was so excited. I haven't watched it yet. What? Um, but yes, shout, shout out to Peter Harrison on Twitter, who is slow and quiet, is his handle on Twitter, who actually demanded a special pilot TV <laughs> podcast in which you talk us through the this trailer in great detail um, for hours on end. I can absolutely arrange yeah. that. Um, so he's very excited about it. Um, but yeah, I am that excited that I haven't even watched it yet. That's part. I am quite interested. I am genuinely quite interested in the whole thing um, but I've been so busy I there, that, literally you see Jean-Luc running a hose and watering some grapes oh fine is that it so it's really all about the wine yeah it's all it's very yeah. very wine heavy oh. unexpectedly <laughs> un- unexpected. unexpected emphasis on the vineyard I would right. say yeah okay but uh, yes I enjoyed this immensely uh, this will of course arrive later this year uh, showrunner Hanel Culpepper is directing the first two episodes as well Terry the first woman to launch a Star Trek series have some interest <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Women. sorry, did my, yep, my vagina found that mildly interesting. Hashtag feminism, hashtag ally, Terry, something, I don't know what's going on. Right, give me some news, Terry. If, I'm going to shut your laptop. Look, this no, is me. Oh. news on my laptop. Oh. I, um, they were talking about Black Mirror. Was this at your event, Boyden? Yes. Um, where Charlie Brooker... Um and help me out. Um, Annabelle Jones. Annabelle Jones. We're talking about what the future um of Black Mirror could be. Bear in mind, obviously, we've had the interactive with Bandersnatch. They were talking about putting out um several specials. Um, and they're talking about keen to experimenting with new formats and storytelling structures, which. Does that mean, as you have been hosting events with them next week, mm. does that mean working out new ways to involve the viewer? I think it's less about, because um, you're thinking about, you know, the interactivity of yeah. Snatch. I think yeah. it's less about that and more about what he, what he said to me quite a lot was that he doesn't want to repeat himself. Right. So I think you'll find these new episodes are quite feel quite new and different. And um, he just, in, he has a very, he made a very funny comment, which I can't remember what he said about what everyone's idea of now of what, Black mirrors, which is like, oh, they're looking at a version of a mobile phone yeah, that's yeah, whizzy, yeah. whiz banging and better than an iPhone, and then something horrific happens. So he's very aware of the way people regard this thing now. So I think it's just about coming up with different formats and different um, structured structures, and maybe, as you say, maybe doing a two hour episode, maybe doing. Yeah. A, so that's what it's about. But he didn't, than... which I found exciting. He didn't rule out um, a live interactive experience. Yeah, right. And in my head, you know what that means. What? The Running Man and Jack Killian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's a natural step. It could step. be that. It could you be go that. from deciding the future of, yes. of, you know, a kind of fairly minor plot line to deciding whether people live or die. Yeah. No? It could happen, yeah. Did you see that Netflix really, really reluctantly in the most half-assed way ever announced that Jessica Jones will be appearing next month. Did you did see that? No, yeah. I didn't. Okay, so... Uh, I totally missed that. I know, so did everyone. They tweeted from, you know, the NX account. They tweeted from their NX account uh, a tweet promoting Batman Begins, Dark Knight and Spider-Man uh, and it linked to a picture showing all the stuff coming up next month and at the very bottom it says, and Jessica Jones. And it's just like, Brilliant. so it's a blink and you'll miss it thing. That's, so it could be here as yeah. soon as two weeks' time. Huh. And they okay. do not care. No, no one gives a shit. No. <laughs> um, did you see that, um, that? That first of all, Warner Media. There's another streaming service starting soon. Warner's one. Oh, do you know gosh. about this? No, I Warner didn't. Brothers. This is Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So this has passed me by. But the re- and the only reason I know about it is because of the, the news story is that Anna Kendrick is teaming up with Paul Feig, um, who you know worked together on films and stuff, to do a new romantic comedy anthology series called Love Life. The first season of which will star Kendrick with him exec producing, and it's a ten episodes for the Warner Media as yet to be. Um, named streaming service. So as loyal as Disney, Apple, Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon, there's this one. It's too much, boy. Too much. It's getting ridiculous. Someone's going to have to sort it all out. But I'm quite excited. But I like, I really like Anna Kendrick and I really like Paul Feig. Feig, Feig, Feig. 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 But not necessarily... uh, Do we have concerns about the quality of this anthology show? 
Uh, oh, well, clearly you do. <laughs> Why do you have concerns? But, I mean, did they Paul deny F- you a sandwich or something? Paul Feig <laughs> has a you know a bit of up and down oh, okay. in yeah. terms of yeah. consistency. That's I true. would argue. Yeah. Although Spy is a modern masterpiece. Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> I mean, it I wouldn't go that That's quite the statement. That is quite the statement. I think it's that's Jason genius. Jason Statham really? has never yes. been better. Yes. Jason really? Statham has never been good. I'm gonna, first of all, that's shocking, slanderous, blasphemy is crime. But anyway, I saw Spy at Caesar's Palace in Vegas. That's a long oh, story. It okay. really matter. Well, that makes but, it different. But didn't, you drunk? Didn't, didn't want to see it, didn't expect to like it, and I laughed my ass off. I thought it was so funny. And for me, that's a really big deal. Another insight into the James Dyer yeah. humour. It's conundrum. so funny. And I think it might be because swearing is both big and clever, and he does it very, very well. Like, Paul Feig is very mm. good at inventive swearing, yeah, which I, I find funny. I quite like Spy, but... Yeah. 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 Okay. <sighs> Okay, very, very good stuff. So Game of Thrones, it's a, it's a little series that those of us other than Terry are quite familiar with. Mm. Uh, so the Game of Thrones finale was watched by 19.3 million viewers across HBO platforms, which which was is a new record. For How many? 19.3 million across okay. HBO. So that presumably doesn't include Sky. That's American HBO oh, right, audiences. Okay. So it's just yeah. over there. Yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, that's huge. And obviously it beat the previous record, which was 18.4 million viewers, which was the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh, yeah there you go so rock on uh the l word generation q we've seen this yeah. this is uh showtime announced the title of its uh l word spin-off sequel whatever you want to call it it's a sequel isn't it it's yeah so this is coming this uh this autumn or fall as they say in the, in, in the americas <laughs> oh my god uh, sorry <laughs> And uh, who's in this? Jessica Beals is back in this. A few of the cast members are returning with a bunch of new other characters mm. as well. But I don't really know a great deal about the plot. But I'm interested to see it, though I never finished the original L Word. I think I watched about half of it and never got to the end. Terry um, launched her own tribute to this to the L Word, I remember, uh, in the previous episode. I did, yeah. Of, uh, yes. This very podcast, James. I'm sure you were listening. Yeah. So that's the thing. Terry, because you've now, well, we confiscated Terry's laptop, this is important, you know, so now she's on her phone. Um, Looking at news stories, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm uh, sure. Oh, you actually are. Yes, I am. Oh, look, and would you like to introduce that story that you've got up there? Hi, guys. Hi. I've got a little story for you. Go What's on. Happening? Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, Brian Cogman, yes. who oh, yeah. is the Game of Thrones writer who has been announced to join um, Amazon's Lord of the Rings. Series, which depending on how you feel about the writing um, in Game of Thrones is either a fantastic thing or not. But he wrote, notably wrote, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, yeah. um, i.k.a. The Battle of Winterfell. So yeah. um, this is a good thing, right? Yeah, there's a really James, good... James, what's that face? My, the face is... I like Brian Cogman and I actually think that episode two of this was a really, really good episode. Mm. I really thought the writing shone in that and Brian Cogman's really good. However, I've kind of slightly maybe un fairly in my head might have written off this Lord of the Rings TV show as something Already? Just, I just feel a bit like it's such a like oh really Do, am, I, am I alone in this boy? Uh, uh, no I've, I've got completely a written off I completely it. written off because mm. I don't like Lord of the Rings anyway Oh that's right I forget yeah, I, You with your oh, little dwarfs having Good versus humor. evils Yeah he's put boys right You don't like the yeah. films? No Terry, do you like the film? No. No. Okay, you're both freaks. These no. genuinely... I mean, they're brilliantly made. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Storytelling, blah, blah, blah. Both of your judgments now mean nothing for no, the rest no, of this no. podcast till the no. end of time because no, they no, no. are some of the greatest films ever. They're Those three films not. are amazing. Some Fuck of the off. greatest films ever. <laughs> Absolutely, did, without James, a shadow of a doubt. He did a brilliant job of getting, of, of, of you know, of adapting those I'm terrible, tedious books. The books are worse. I mean, the books are terrible. He made perfectly decent films out of them, perfectly, which became a phenomenon. But the fact that the third one won like loads of Oscars and everything is ridiculous. But and then the Hobbit ones are even worse. The Hobbit ones, on, anyway. Back but if on we this, get back on yes. point, Cogman is going to consult, right? Right. And I think you know it That's is. Good thing. It's how you map out this kind of serialized yes. narrative, kind of building out this world, keeping it still feeling like episodic yeah. television. Right. It's a massive challenge. Yeah, right. I'm now. So this announcement because I am now more optimistic about it, and I'm slightly more. I'm back in. I'm interested because he. Did you read the article about him in Vanity Fair? I think it was uh, talking about how he's one of all the cast's favourite writers. I mean, 
I, I would That's modest of him. No, 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 no. He didn't write it. It was about him. It was it was it was an article about how he should get a lot of credit. Fine. In addition to the two creators we all know about for writing some of the best episodes, and they kind of often they went off to film in like the hot locations, and he was left in yeah. Northern Ireland, frankly, slaving away on Microsoft Word. Right. Anyway, he seems like a very, very talented, clever guy. Yeah. And I do think if they're making, if what they're doing with Lord of the Rings is to kind of Game of Thronesify it, as in. Don't just make it a long, lengthy, even more tedious remake of what we've oh already God. seen, but just using those characters and turning it into episodic television, then I'm fine with it. I don't understand how someone so relentlessly positive about such terrible things on such a regular basis can have a hot take where Lord of the Rings is rubbish. No, my new hot take is that it might be quite good. Oh, Lord <laughs> of the Rings, the book is rubbish. James, it's absolutely terrible. It's so boring. I mean... I can't entirely disagree with that. I, I will, and I read a lot of fantasy. I yeah. will say I struggle with the Lord of the Rings books, and I read the Hobbit one again recently, and f- fuck me, and that's it's the, really dull. Yeah, but uh, but the Lord of the Rings dull. films I do think are magnificent. Okay. So let's just do that. Any other news? Um, quickly, uh, in casting news for the new Pope. Do you see this? Marilyn Manson oh, and is- Sharon Stone. <laughs> what? In, into the, the yeah, the new um, sequel to the Young Pope with Jude Law in his pants. We saw those pictures of him in his pants. Yeah. John Malkovich. It's got wacky casting. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it could still be shit. I don't know. The stone. But that's the stone. Gives the me stone hope. Is, always the gives stone hope. The stone is amazing. Exactly. The, I, no one can have a bad word to say about the stone. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Humans was cancelled. Finally, but people were still clinging on to the, that there might be a fourth series of it the Channel 4 the most thought, recent one wasn't very good it was I, I still liked it I liked it all the way through of course you did Boyd yeah. of course you did yeah um, it had, and, had hobbits in it you'd have hated it and you know the Jadoon <laughs> picture so the Doctor Who Jadoon announcement this is very Whovian stuff but they but the BBC put out a photo of um, what are you talking about the Jadoon what's the Jadoon Doctor Who it's the characters that were featured 12 years ago and they're rhino like intergalactic police officers <gasps> oh my yeah, oh my them. god, they're yeah, amazing. They're great. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, you are really good not fun. allowed to roll your eyes when I start talking about fucking Yes, Picard, I am. When you're talking about Jadoons. Yeah, but Doctor Who's better than Lord of the Rings. Oh, so, um, but the exciting <laughs> yes, thing was, I agree, it boys. was an actual photo of the new episodes, because everyone's kind of moaning a bit about how we're going to have to wait so long for them, because they're not going to arrive till till 2020. God forbid we wait for the Jadoons. But let's bear in mind, they're filming now. Um, I saw Jodie Whittaker at the BAFTAs, had quite a long chat with her totally off the record but let me just say this I think it's going to arrive right at the 1st of January 2020 so you might have to wait not have to wait as long as you think and oh. I have no basis for that I have no evidence for that no one's told me that I'm just that's my uh, that's my feeling and I'm excited that's it's I am all a quiver good a uh, <laughs> couple of trailers did we see did anyone see the Westworld trailer this paid after the, the last episode of Game of Thrones yeah that was good wasn't it yeah which no, which no one's quite you weren't sure what it was so it's Aaron Paul mm. running around in the future being a, so like a dodgy criminal time yeah and then uh uh, and then obviously runs into um, um, uh, uh, Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah, it looked it, it, the best thing about it was it looked like a completely different show. It did because frankly, yeah. we were bored to high teeth with yeah. the last <laughs> season. I like to high teeth. <laughs> that, that well-known saying. Yeah, it's, it's from Tolkien. Um, yeah, I, 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 this interested me, and I like their vision of the future with self-driving motorbikes and stuff. It's yeah, quite, it, looked, uh, it did look it's good. quite cool. So that was exciting. There was also a trailer, another one from HBO for His Dark Materials. Yes. Which, again, this this piqued my interest quite a lot. Oh, God, I could not be less interested. Have you read oh, the really? books? Really? No, of course I haven't. Philip Pullman, right? That's the one, yeah. yeah. No. I'll be honest, I've only read the first two, I never read the third one, and I wasn't a huge fan. However, however, I believe they are supposed to be brilliant, so it's probably my favourite. I'm a big fan of the book. Uh, this is going to be one good. of these things where they're amazing, and I'll love them if I read them now, but for some reason I didn't like them at the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, no, I was, I, was, I was totally sold on this, because The, the yeah, Golden Compass, good. the film, is, is shocking. Oh, terrible. Uh, yeah. And this really looks like it might have, have sort of latched into what makes these things good, so yeah. uh, we'll keep an eye out for that. And that, I believe, concludes... <laughs> News. Should we get on to this week's reviews? Yes. Yes. Okay. First up this week, we have Amazon's long-awaited adaptation of Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, a quirky, clever sort of fantasy tale that sees an angel played by a Michael Sheen and a demon played by David Tennant try to, shall we say, delay the end of the world after the coming of the Antichrist. So, Boyd, was this angels or demons for you? I have to say, I was disappointed. <gasps> yeah, I'm sorry. Boy didn't like something. I was really looking forward to it. It does happen. Don't be, don't be silly. Were there, were there, there many actors from Lord of the Rings in this? I mean, Doctor Two. <laughs> or... Fuck off! I can't remember your Lord of the Rings obsession. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this 
for, you know, it's taken a long time, hasn't it? From when it was first it's announced, taken forever, like yes. years ago. Um, I, you know, I like the idea of it. The cast is spectacular: David Tennant, Michael Sheen, Anna Maxwell Martin, John Hamm, Michael McKean, Jack Whitehall, yeah. Miranda Richardson, Francis McDormand doing narrating has got a yeah. lot of narration, yes. a lot of fucking narration, which is one of the issues I have with it. Neil Gaiman, I, I feel that. I was trying to work out what my problem with it was, and I suddenly realised when I watched the trailers for this, it reminded me of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. As it should. It's got that tone it to does. it. It's comedic. It's kind of, you know, trying to be witty and Intellectual Intellectually, yes. yes. And very British. Very Douglas Adams. Mm. For me, the brilliant thing about Hitchhikers was, particularly the TV show, it was a brilliant TV show that was, and no budget at all. It looked terrible, but it still worked brilliantly because it had the forward momentum of great storytelling as well as great wit and comedy. Yeah. This has no momentum in storytelling for me whatsoever. And I feel like, the pro- I don't want to be horrible to Neil Gaiman, he's adapted his own book mm. here. And I feel it needed someone else to come along and turn his... It feels like what they've done is, they've, the thing you should never do with a literary adaptation, plonk the book on screen, even to the point where it's all narrated, or heavily narrated, explaining what's going on to you. There's no... I didn't feel... I couldn't cling to any central story strand at all. Half of the first episode is just the two of them, the two characters played by David and Tell Machine, bantering with each other, yep. and not quite amusingly enough for my, for my liking, and stuff going on. There's this whole baby born that's then adopted by the president. And I, I was like, I, what, to coin a phrase, what the hell is going on came to mind. And I just, by the end of the first episode, I'd lost interest and I don't feel any great desire to carry on watching it. And I'm really gutted because I really looked forward to this. In a shock turn of events, I thought this was great. <laughs> I really, really, really enjoyed this. I think anyone who's ever read a Discworld book kind of is familiar with this, as you said, this very specific type of humour, sort of off the wall, slightly intellectual, a little bit surreal. Um, I was really worried about this one, as I've said before. Like, I thought the trailers looked a bit bad and I really worried this was going to strike that same, you know, like the Sky One Discworld adaptations where mm. they were really kind of... Jason's yeah, stuff. all over the place. And yeah. I really worried this was that. I think what helps this is it's set on Earth and not in Ankh-Morpork, and that's probably a useful <laughs> development. But I really like this. I loved the narration because it felt like it felt like the narration did the job that the footnotes do in the book, you know, in terms of mm. just really funny asides. And it put me in mind of A, Hitchhikers, but also uh, Brian Fuller's Pushing Daisies, where you get that very mannered, very humorous mm. narration, which sort of lends this sort of like warm and fuzzy. It is very arch, and I myself am very arch. You are. So I enjoy yeah, it. no, that makes uh, sense. But I, I really, really liked it. I thought everyone was really, really fun in it. Really? The satanic nuns, the really? mix up with the baby. You know, I even found it funny when like Michael Sheen's like in this buck tooth gun gardener disguise, you know, trying to talk to the one he thinks is the Antichrist, but isn't the Antichrist. Uh, Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I'm definitely going to watch all of these. I have read the book, though it was like, I mean, God, 10, 15, 20 years ago, I don't know. It's been a long time and I barely remember it. But yeah, this, I thought this was so much fun. I thought it had a lot of charm and I thought it's incredibly difficult to strike that tone correctly. And I thought they somehow managed it. And I feel a bit like if you really enjoy practice stuff and if you in particular enjoy this book, I think people are going to like this. I really do. I, I'm, I've not made eye contact with Terry the whole time I've been speaking <laughs> I, deliberately. I noticed that. And Almost I suspect, like you don't want her to have her say. I suspect that if I now turn to Terry, she's not... Not going to agree with me. Hi, Terry. How are you? Uh, I am more on boys' side. You will be um, <laughs> surprised to hear there is a, a little edge of, um, I thought, intellectual elitism love it. T- to this show, which is why you love it. <laughs> yes, it um, is. <laughs> I did think that I love David Tennant because the Tenth Doctor is the only Doctor that counts. Um, uh, but I'm with Boyd on the I need a story some semblance of a story, some plot with pacing and energy and dynamism. Um, and so while I could appreciate the writing, the absurdity, the, you know, it's Python-esque, all of it those is. things, absolutely. Um, uh, I need a narrative. I just need a narrative. And it, I was really confused half the time about what the fuck was going on. I kept Googling and trying to read while I was watching it because I couldn't mm. actually follow what was happening. I didn't mind the narration as much. I could, I mean, mainly I think it's Francis McDormand. Yeah. Um, but that that does weigh heavy over the whole thing. And I think it's there to add a semblance of kind of formula and shape around it. But I don't know if that necessarily helps massively because you're putting all the heavy lifting Mm. there. I thought they had um, lovely chemistry um, and that kind of crackled in a quite a nice way. I mean, you know, I've got a cup of tea. It's a Tuesday night. There's no else on. um, Do I do this or do I like, you know, 
shave the hair on the insides of my wrists. <laughs> Whoa. Then, that, uh, that was either that's one for the poster. That was either really pervy or really dark, and I'm not sure which. And honestly, I don't want you to clarify. So uh, I, I, you're actually right, though, and it's funny, like Patrick's books all have a slight air of intellectual elitism to them in that I think he pitches it that of the jokes, no one will ever get more than eight. And I don't think jokes. it's accidental. No, I he pitches them over people's heads yeah. deliberately yeah. so yeah. that you can you reach for them, so you feel terribly proud of yourself when you, you get, get his them. jokes. And I always really enjoyed that about it. And I never get all of them because no one gets all of them because he's so smart. You, re- you, I mean, James, you respond to that massively. Yeah. Your entire <laughs> life is some kind of intellectual quest that nobody else is really on, mm. with a series of self tests <laughs> along the way that nobody's aware you're doing. So uh, I knew you would love yeah. this. You make it sound like a kind of patronising version of like Homer's The Odyssey. <laughs> I mean, pretty Perfect, much. Yeah. But what's really annoying though, I have to say, is that, that, that if I honestly think someone could have come along and gone, there's a better way of doing this. There's a better way, you know, of, of, of finding the narrative thread, finding any narrative thread that's going to draw you in more to the archness and to that intellectual superiority and everything. Because so, that wouldn't have bothered me if there'd been a compelling story and there just wasn't. And think about, you literally got in the narration, sorry to bang on the narration, but what really annoyed me about it is she literally has to go meet so-and-so, so-and-so, this character, and tell you who the character is and what the, what their place is in the story. I'm like, mm. oh, it's excruciating. Oh, I love and it. Compare it to, uh, to go back to his because how brilliant! Like, remember how they incorporated the little um, b- bits from the book yeah, from the guide, it's the guide, isn't it? The, the anima- guide, those yeah, an- yeah. that was so beautifully handled. Yeah, and yeah. they needed to find a way of handling the fact that you don't know what the fuck's going on and who these people are, and they did not. It's quite literally the voice of God. I quite like that. I like the idea. I'm fine <laughs> with it. But when she has to literally tell you who these people are and what their place is in the story, I don't think that works. Did you not even shed a smile when they're explaining what the satanic nuns' winks meant? I had to love smiles all the way through, but it's not enough. It's not no. enough. I'm now going to place it at the back of my watch list and watch loads of other things instead. And that's wow. disappointing. Whoa, there is no greater burn from <laughs> yeah, the Boyd. That is. The burn. Boyd doesn't like it. Terry doesn't like it. But then neither of these like Lord of the Rings. So I'm just going to say, draw from that what you will. David Arnold's music was good, though. <laughs> okay, that is Good Omens, which appears on Amazon on Friday, the 31st of May. Next up, we have a rather less amusing offering. This is Ava DuVernay's When They See Us. Uh, This is a dramatisation of one of the 80s most notorious crimes and, subsequently, most egregious miscarriages of justice. Uh, The case of the Central Park Five kind of consumed the American media in 1989 when New Yorker Trisha Miley was raped and beaten into a coma while jogging in Central Park. Uh, five teenagers, Raymond Santana, Kevin Richardson, Antron McRae, Yusuf Salam and Corey Wise were subsequently arrested for the crime. And this five part miniseries tells the story of what happened to them in a kind of unflinching, really harrowing look at institutional racism and abuse of power. And frankly, if you thought Chernobyl was wildly depressing, <laughs> then you haven't seen anything yet. Terry, have you recovered from watching this? Oh, my God. Um, I have to say... This is um, one of the most difficult pieces of television I've ever watched. I mean, you know, we were talking about the virtues and Shane Meadow the other week in terms of kind of trauma on screen. This is unbearable at times. Um, I had to pause it a couple of times. There was one scene which I skipped over and then I made myself go back and watch it. I think it's deliberately painful to watch and it should be. Um, So as you say, it follows this case as it unfolds. And um, first things first, I have to say, Ava DuVernay, who I think is doing such incredible work, obviously did Selma and 13th. And she um, kind of shines this really interesting spotlight on um, African-American history and culture, but also very much on injustices. Now, it's interesting in the way it's set up because I watched episode one. I actually made time to watch episode two and I couldn't watch it straight after. Um, But episode one, it kind of throws you into the action almost immediately. You get very little knowledge of the boys. You see them kind of, um, they're all, they don't know each other at this point. Um, And you see them just essentially in the moments before they go into the park, um, which I was like, oh, this feels really strange because I don't know who these boys are to kind of um, be so upset by what happens next. But actually, it's such an intelligent piece of filmmaking because the point she's making, you know, they, they she's they've deliberately called it when they see us. And we all know who the they and the us refer to in this title is 
they could have been any five, you know, four of these boys were African-American, one boy was Hispanic. Yeah. They could have been any five boys. Um, and you learn, you actually learn as it closes, you see your first glimpse into the boys that they were. So it follows as um, the boys are arrested um, and um, as they're interrogated, the most difficult scenes of the interrogation scenes, which formed the majority chunk of the first episode. And then after they're charged, there's a basically she cuts between them in the back of the police cars looking like little kids, which mm. m- most of them were. And then um, showing little glimpses of their home lives. And, and you only got that right at the end. And that was the only point you really kind of saw this other side to these boys. It is, it's, infuriating is I mean the performances from all the boys is incredible but um, I want to make special mention of Asante Black who played Kevin and there's a one shot of him um, during a filmed interrogation which is just phenomenal Um, and Felicity Hoffman playing Linda Fairstein who is the um, the was she a DA or she, a, she's a detective. detective? She's head of the kind of uh, sex, sex crimes. crimes. Unit. And I thought she was really interesting because she's you know been the cause of much controversy because she really pushed this investigation along. And it's quite stark in terms of her very active and dis- role in terms of this yeah. disingenuous yeah. investigation. But what I thought in was really it was kind of inspired casting. But, well, right, yeah, right. <laughs> but don't you think? Um, I what I thought was really interesting is it would have been very easy to paint her as just this plain. Mm-hmm. Villain, but you what you saw in her was her being fueled by the the brutalization of this woman. Yes. Who mm. was it's, a it's white misplaced woman. Right? Outrage. And yes. isn't that this whole thing, isn't it? That this consumed New York at that time? Because what happened to this woman was absolutely horrific. And the public outrage was palpable and mm. visceral and just all-consuming. And all of it came down on the heads of these five boys who, frankly, had nothing to mm. do with it and were exonerated by DNA evidence, not to spoil this mm. historical event. But the interesting part of this, and I'm I'm very I'm fascinated to see how they deal with the Donald Trump aspect of this. Yes. Because he is partly held responsible. It is said that he was partly for the boys' conviction. Mm. So he took out full-page ads in New York newspapers saying we should bring back the death penalty to yep. Execute these five boys for what yeah. they did, and he was utterly unrepentant about it. Even, he still is, and he still is. Mm. He still maintains their guilt, even though uh, a serial rapist in prison has uh, confessed, confessed to the crime. Their DNA was nowhere, and, and his, this, his DNA yeah. was there. Yeah. And now the forensic people are saying it's clear it probably was one attacker and yeah. not five attackers. So they pretty much exonerated yeah. on every level. But Trump obviously will not back down from that particular statement. Well, if you if you watch episode two, episode two, it very much deals with it. Oh, it does. Yeah, so, so, so episode two. Um, so first of all, I would say episode one, um, I had, I've never had a reaction to anything I've seen. I mean, mm. literally, I, I, it's weird. So I had almost had a physical, I almost was like physically sick of watching those interrogation scenes in episode one. I yeah. thought they were so traumatic. Oh, they really were. But that is testament to David Verne's job because, yeah. oh my God, she, the visceral, there's a weird, she achieves an incredible tone to the whole thing because it's kind of poetic yep. and beautiful, yep. weirdly beautifully filmed some of it. Like there's, you know, she uses lighting the haze. and cover haze the of it. Haze. Right. Um, so she, I don't know, how, I almost don't know how she's done it because <laughs> it's incredibly brutally realistic and visceral and yet at the same time beautiful when it, when it can be, when it's allowed to be, if you like. And those, the scenes in the first episode are unbearable to watch, but you have to watch them. Mm. Then when you get to episode two, it's almost, there is actually, I have to say, almost like a relief because already um, you're seeing how they're getting help at least. And actually the boys themselves, even though they've all kind of, what happens is they're all forced to confess yeah. Yeah. and they all land each other in it. That's yeah. what's happened. But they all know that, that they forgive themselves for what they've done and they know that they were um, forced into it. And so they do bond with each other. So you're, at least you've got that, mm. whereas the unrelenting bleakness and knowing how it all turns out, kind of you're reminded of that. But immediately, as soon as episode two starts, the figure of Donald Trump is there hovering on TV screens mm. and you see him talking. Who's he played by? Oh, no, no, no. You see him He's, only on oh, TV it's, screens. It's so you see him on the radio. Oh, fine, fine, you yeah. hear him on the radio and you see him on TV screens and you see the headlines. Yeah. And so that whole thing that, as you say, is immediately there hovering over everyone and they literally, the characters are literally discussing him as this fucking prick yeah. who's, who's calling for And there's a brilliant moment where the mother of one of the sons is like, he wants to kill my son. Yeah. yeah. And it was so, and so... 
I think this is, I, I mean, I agree with, I think Ava DuVernay's films, I think the films and that documentary, the 13th, yeah. are all great, but this is like the masterpiece, I think. It because is. it's almost like she's found the perfect um, thing, vehicle, an important mm. story to tell, and she's telling it so brilliantly. Exactly everything about it, the authenticity is astonishing. Mm. The acting, she gets out of these kids. Yeah, There's one mm. who's like 14, you're playing a 14-year-old boy who's caught in the middle of this whole thing. And they've performed, it's incredible. It's like you're watching the, the boy suffering this unbearable cruelty, this Kafkaesque nightmare. And they just want to go home. Yeah. They, they just, just want to go home. Anything. Yeah. They just want to go Honestly, home. Honestly, I know we often sing the praises of stuff with this thing because every other week we get, there's a, that's the nature of TV at the moment. That's why we have Pilot TV magazine and this podcast. But this is, I do find it, I think it's absolutely incredible. But, but you need some fortitude to get through yeah. this. This is not light viewing. But you're, I think your point's really interesting about the kind of, um, the colour palette, the cinematography, that haze effect, which is, I've seen used, you know, it's it's kind of those idyllic days of mm. summer it, it, and the contrast of that playing out this sunlight playing out on when these boys, as yeah. you say, are in a, this fucking Kafkaesque nightmare. <laughs> it's it reminded you know what it reminded me of. Joan Didion did this amazing, beautiful, poetic writing about New York in the eighties mm-hmm. because that's the other thing playing yeah. playing on in the background. Right is is New York as a kind of city that's struggling. Yes. That's kind of um, the the. The pressure pot that is building up in that mm. city. She also, that's the story she's telling. She's telling the story of the city as much as anything else. Yeah, because this was 1989, 1989 when it was back. And it was still right in the. Yeah. Back then, it was crime everywhere. It yeah. was like, you know, you still had you still had the, the, the porn industry and all of that and the whole constant violence and muggings and all the, And of course, black people were blamed for yeah. it all. Mm. Literally, but constantly on a constant basis by everyone. Yeah. And they were, you know, and, and I did, th- you know, that you mentioned that first scene, it is incredible when all of the, these black youths are gathering in Central yeah. Park and they're all running and it's wilding is that's yeah. the word they use and all it is really and all it is really is that they're all in Harlem they're all in you know kind of in their in, in quotes heavy quotes ghetto and they're just kind of running just yeah. to have fun and and they she doesn't soft soap it so no she doesn't some of them are important. some of them are almost attacking perfectly innocent people well, riding people their bikes. Were attacked. Yeah. People yeah. were attacked. People were attacked. There's there was fighting. Assaulting. There was mugging. And there I thought that, again, stuff, it's but... like, it, that's the authenticity of yeah. it. It's like, yes, yeah. this is, so I thought it was so brilliantly conceived that, that that opening because yeah. you do and the randomness one yeah. boy was just there because his mate said join yeah. me and he was about to, he was eating with his girlfriend right, yeah. it's the it's the it's the nightmare of the randomness of it mm. and then they're seized upon by the police just because they're there absolutely it's i mean it, it it's it's horrific <laughs> uh, have you seen the ken burns documentary this no. Documentary. no no they're right yeah. it's supposed to be incredibly good mm. yeah that is When They See Us, and that drops on Netflix on Friday, May the 31st. Finally this week, we return to the 80s, but in a rather lighter way, for Black Monday, a half-hour Wall Street comedy which charts the events leading up to the eponymous market crash in 1987. Specifically, this one centres around Don Cheadle as a coke-snorting stockbroker called Mo Monroe, and Blair Faff, played by Andrew Rannells, a.k.a. Elijah from Girls. <laughs> uh, what did we think of this one? Um, again, I was disappointed. I think... I like the idea of it, and it has a kind of you think, oh, it's going to be it's going to be a big short style. It feels it has that kind of you know um, very jokey. Um, oh, you don't understand what happened in the in the Black Monday crash because it's a complicated financial situation. That's the setup. You know, yeah. it literally tells yeah. says to you, who knows what happened? No one knows what happened. We're going to explain what happens, and it's got that. It's produced by Seth Rogen, and Evan Goldberg. So it's got a kind of comedic spin. I like the casting of it. I love Andrew Rannells, Regina Hall's in it. It's got great people. Don Cheadle's really good. It didn't ring true to me. No. I think that was the problem with it. Um, so it gets all the, you know, it, it's very much this period piece, and it's kind of, you know, it, it's 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 kind of playing on the pop music and the fashion and the afros and all of that of the period. But there's a scene where, for example, um, uh, Andrew Rannell's character is being constantly pummeled <laughs> by oh. his girlfriend. Yes, and you know, I just thought played by Casey Wilson. Played by Casey Wilson. Thank you. And I thought, and that's like very early on. It's like the first half of the first episode, and it's supposed to be, oh, this is a funny thing we're doing here with these characters, but it's ridiculous. And 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 there are other elements of the show which are kind of vague 
vaguely like Wolf of Wall Street is showing how horrible these people are, yeah. these financial people are. And that kind of did ring true. And that felt almost kind of trying to do it in a realistic way. So that scene really, really mm. kind felt of like a different yeah. show. Well, I just thought, yeah. I, I so, I wrote, so I wrote the dialogue down of that scene. <laughs> did you? So I rewound that and watched it because, so I, I mean, I love Andrew Reynolds. Yeah. I just think he is, his comedic delivery in Girls, <laughs> his, the way he lands some of those lines. But I miss that here. And yeah. it was, and this whole exchange, you know, he said to her, we don't need money to be happy. And she grabs his penis and says, if this is in fact a dick and not a long dangling clit and you ever want to put it in me again, then you'll go down there and beg for your job. And she's screaming in his face, tell me, is this a dick or a vagina? I love a dick vagina yeah. comment, but I was like, what is happening? Yeah. The tone yeah. was so uneven mm. and it wasn't funny. No. Um and it wasn't kind of warm, clearly. So it felt, I felt quite cold. Like yeah. I loved the kind of bombastic of it and the coke and the hair and the shoulder pads. It kind of did American 80s, well, actually global 80s excess yeah. and ridiculousness really well. Um, but it was really patchy, mm. I felt, just yeah. like across the piece. I agree. Cheadle's having loads of fun yeah. in this, and he's very, very watchable, and I very much enjoyed him in this. But I, it didn't, same thing with me. It was patchy. It didn't ring true. I didn't find it funny. That scene between him and his girlfriend, I hate <laughs> it. was terrible. Not just because of the gender politics, but it just wasn't funny, and it was yeah. just awful, and it was cringy. I was very confused. It was, just, it was just horrific. And uh, and obviously there's a slight interesting almost twist towards the end of it, which makes you think, oh, I'm, you know, that that's made me slightly more interested in where this is going. But honestly, not enough to watch another one. No, yeah. agreed. Yeah. So that is... It didn't help that I watched it in the aftermath of watching When They See Us, though. Well, yeah. So. I mean, well, though, it's, it's a bit of a... At least it's more of an upbeat palate cleanser, do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, but actually it's kind of quite depressing as well, in a way. It they're, is, they're yeah. They're also absolutely yeah. horrible. They are. Everyone horrible. in it's horrific. Yeah, everyone. And that certainly doesn't help. Which I don't mind usually, but, you know. Well, you know I always have a problem know, with that. Yes. But uh, no, I didn't, I didn't wildly enjoy this, it has to be said. Uh, but... You May and Black Monday <laughs> debuts on Sky Atlantic and now TV on uh, May the 29th at 10 minutes past 10, which is a curious time, but that's when it's on. Um, also out this week is Sky Atlantic's Deadwood the Movie, uh, which takes us back to the former camp, now a bustling town, and catches up with Seth Bullock et al., uh, all of which sounds absolutely fabulous, but we wouldn't know because they didn't make it available for us to watch, so we can be of no use here whatsoever. However... I will say, if you like violence, swearing, and swearingen, uh, and you watched Deadwood when it was on, then you should probably watch it. Uh, and Deadwood the movie airs on Saturday the 1st of June at 9pm on Sky Atlantic and presumably now TV as well. It is. And can I just, I think it's annoying they didn't make, that we couldn't see it. It but, is. But um, let me say that I think it's good that Sky Atlantic is showing, I think it's on the very same day it's going out in America, which is, so, you know, they, they're literally simulcasting it, which yeah. is impressive. Because yeah. yeah. you could have let Deadwood, you know, oh, it's that old kind of culty thing that people really liked, but they're absolutely bringing it front and centre no, Saturday it's night. It's a big deal. Yeah. And it's exciting. And I shall definitely be watching it. Yeah. Um, pick of the week I'm going to go out on a limb and say it is Good Omens uh, no Whoa. no of course not just kidding it is uh, when I they mean, see us you are us, capable of thinking that although I will probably be watching Good Omens first but um, but yes yes when they see us pick of the week it is now time for the Banshee segment where we each recommend for you a standout show of your uh, and this week I'd like to talk about a show that's not really from ye olde times at all rather a returning show but Boyd but no less fabulous for it. I'm. Lo I would like. Go on. To big up Marcella. Oh, you, you guys must watch mofo. this. You must watch this. Yeah, but I'm surprised you do. Yeah. Why? It's amazing. <laughs> and, and I don't think it's a real banshee, by the way. Then you've gone completely yeah. like. Why you, is it not a banshee? Well, you're the master of being very picky about what we pick <laughs> yeah. a banshee. It's supposed well, to be an obscure yes. old show. Well, it's neither old nor obscure. I do tend to pick things. I prefer to pick things that are no longer on. And, and Marcellism, I don't think enough people watch Marcellism. It's coming back. Guys, guys, guys I'd like to banshee Killing Eve. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from Terry's facetious interjection. Uh, this sorry, is... sorry. I'd like to banshee Bodyguard. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> I'd like to banshee Marcella is... Yeah, I'd up. like to banshee... Order! This morning! Order! <laughs> Order on the podcast. Marcella is an ITV police drama. Oh, uh, is it? It is, Terry. It <laughs> is. Who's in it, James? You know it started in 2016. Did you Who's know that? It? Well, Terry, it's funny you should ask. It stars Anna Friel. Uh. It stars Anna Friel as a London copper called Marcella. <gasps> uh, yeah. 
She's been off the job for years, but comes back originally to work an old case that has kind of come up again and then kind of sticks around. Now, the, the, Did the, you say she's on the job? No, not in a prostitutional way. Like, she's a copper. Prostitutional. Um, yeah, that may not be a word. So this, I thought the first series of this was a bit Scandi, but Scandi-esque. You yeah, know, it was kind written of like, by a Scandi dude. Well, there you go. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of like a murder mystery thing, a sort of whodunit, where she, thanks to the fact that she has these sort of rage-induced blackouts, which I think is a genius plot point, is a bit of a prime suspect for the for, for years. Um, she's sort of damaged and she's vulnerable and Terry's laughing at me. It's but... funny you're explaining the show, like the same way you explain a show that no one's ever I'm explaining this for the benefit of our listeners who do not already watch my challenge. Just because you two people do, you two Lord of the Rings hating fools, doesn't mean that everyone else does. So just bear with me. You watch me. it on a box that's got a screen on the front that you call a TV. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Fine. Laugh it up, why don't you? The interesting thing about, about the show is by the end of the second, third, the, the most recent series, yes. she'd, she'd transformed herself. Into yes, this, yes, but this is where I'm going with this. Okay. So, so the first series is like a sort of whodunit yeah. and Nicholas Pinnock is really good in this as her kind of gaslighting, creepy, awful husband. Yeah. Um, but the second series of this, which we were watching when we were doing the... I want to say like the first issue of Pilot when we were putting it together. Yeah, we were yeah, watching yeah. this. And we and they, they they sent me the ITV sent me the, the disc, the preview disc. I was oh, yeah. so excited about it. But so oh. the second series has got this sort of uh, this pedophile storyline and it's absolutely brutal. Mm. And some of the scenes are really shocking. But the ending of series two is the most batshit mental thing I think I've ever seen on television. Yeah. And I in I, I came in and I ran up to Chris Lupton, who's the only other person in the office who'd seen it. I was just like, what the f- Fuck! Like, I still can't get my head around what happened, and I have no clue where they're going with this for series three, which drops later this year. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I think everyone should watch Marcella, if only to have that what the fuck moment, and then pick it up when we review it later this year. So that's what I think they should do. So the third series will be on ITV later on, and we will be reviewing it here. But in the meantime, you don't even need to go to a secondhand DVD shop of no particular name because they're all on Netflix. You, you can just watch turn them on now. the telly. You can just turn on the telly, watch Netflix. Telly, which is the thing in your living room, it's a yep. large screen, it's flat, it's probably against the wall. In Terry's case, it'd be quite small and unobtrusive. But, uh, you know, in Boyd's case, it takes up an entire wall of the house. Yep. But, uh, yeah, Marcella then on Netflix. It's great. <laughs> I'm now quite excited to see what Tara's going to pick. Right, so I'm going to do something a bit different. Um, uh, it's a banshee plea. Oh. What? <laughs> it's a banshee plea. So when I was a little girl... Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> When I was a little girl, um, mm. can you remember on a Friday, the chart show used to be on Channel 4? Yeah. I, I think it was 5.30 on a Friday. And... Every Friday... Are you banshing um, Top of the Pops? No! Every Friday, the shopper check man would come around the house. The what? Now, the shopper check man was, he's a man who would give you things on tick and you'd need to pay him off like he was a catalogue. On tick? Um, uh, You don't have to pay up front, you pay a bit per week. Right. Um, Loving a tab. Yeah, Yeah. but one of the things he gave us on tick was the telly and our telly used to take 50p pieces. (laughs) So the idea was that you could only watch telly when you put 50p in. Oh yes, you've mentioned this before. You had yeah. a little coin up. And, you were actually um, in the 60s. And then every Friday, the man would come and empty the back of the telly wow. um, and take that money, and that money would go towards paying off the telly. Anyway, I always thought he was such a creep, so I used to like always make sure I was watching the telly when he came round. After the chart show, every Friday night, there was a show called Neat and Tidy. Does anybody remember this? So... No. It was about two characters called Nick Neat and Tina Tidy. Oh, is this the Banshee? And I think, right, yes. Okay, good. So it was called, I think, and this is what I need help on because I've spent years trying to find out um, what this TV show was that I watched every week. <laughs> if only there was a website that No, listed. the Google doesn't help. The Google doesn't help. Mm. So Nick Neat and Tina Tidy and Neat and Tidy, they were a couple, but I can't remember if they were either on the run from the police or they were in the police. Um, and I loved it. And she had an amazing perm. Um, and I think they kissed a few times. So if anybody else remembers 
Neat and Tidy, about Nick Neat and Tina Tidy. Adventures Beyond Belief, not TV that. series not 1988. That. It's not this. I don't think. But this has Tina Tidy in it and Nick Neat, who's oh, a motor be. mechanic on the run for murder. But I'm pretty much sure it was called Neat and Tidy, not Adventures Beyond Belief, unless that was like a tagline. I'm pretty certain you're just wrong. Uh, Adventures Beyond Belief, this is the story of a little rich girl, brackets Tina Tidy, and her search <laughs> for her mother, believed killed in a car crash 15 years earlier. Tina has been in a convent since the crash. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, her mafioso dad, oh God, the stakes have raised, wants his daughter back before she discovers the truth. So he tasks the convent headmistress and her goons, convent goons, to find his daughter. Tina crosses paths with Nick Neat, a motor mechanic on the run for murder. The pair are pursued over several continents, oh, yes. over five episodes. There must be action bad five episodes. The soundtrack of each episode is generously Elvis. sprinkled with recording of Elvis Presley. Yeah. Wow. I think it might have had a different name because it was, I'm looking at it as well, it was shown in America. So it might right. have had a different name in America and here. It might be neat and tidy here and that. Well, that if anybody's heard of it or remembers it or knows where I could get a copy of it, not DVD, TVD, DVD exchange, <laughs> then please let me know. At Terry White. Okay. Right. Well, yes, if, if any of you have watched this show while the man emptied the coins out of the back of your telly, then please let us know. Uh, Boyd, what, uh, what did you watch on Tick this week? I watched on, <laughs> on Tick. Not on Tick. Oh, my God. New, new franchise, new segment yeah, on, on tick. tick. If you only... Oh, my God, this is amazing. If you only had 50p, because what we used to do is there was a timer on the back and it would show you how many hours oh, of TV God. were left. And if we were skinned, then you could only right. watch you had to choose what you could watch so we'd often save it we'd turn the telly off and save it for something we really wanted to watch the neat and tidy. new segment <laughs> could be like you're down to your last 50p what do you spend it on Picard anyway <laughs> boy <laughs> Red Riding yes Red Riding was a three part Adapt- TV adaptation of David Peace's Red Riding Quartet, his novels, yep. set against the backdrop of the Yorkshire Ripper murders and investigations and inquiry. But it was an incredibly ambitious, bold, three feature length drama set in 74, 1980, 1983, um, created by David Peace and Tony Grissoni, directed brilliantly by Tony Grissoni. Incredible cast Sean Bean, Jim Carter, Warren Clark, Paddy Considine, Sean Dooley, Gerald Kearns, Andrew Garfield was in it, Rebecca Hall was in it, Sean Harris, Eddie Marzan. David Morrissey, Peter Mullen, Maxine Peake, Leslie Sharp, Robert Sheehan. They were all in this I'm fucking sure, series. Boyd, more people saw Red Riding than saw Marcella. <laughs> I mean, no, you're rubbish. That's not true. People, this was a long time Everyone ago. Everyone was talking about idiot. this when it was on there. Don't try and pretend that this isn't a banshee. Where you're, this is a banshee. <laughs> oh, 2009, 10 years ago, people won't have I mean, you are in a bit it. of a glass house there, Boyd. <laughs> no. <laughs> Red Riding. Oh, I'm going to... People, the, the listeners to the podcast will agree with me that not oh, everyone's heard of Red Riding, uh, unlike fucking Marcella. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all available on Skybox sets. And, and uh, it's a Skybox sets, yes. so they don't need to go down to... They don't need to go down to the Cupid Exchange mm-hmm. to do a chat with Charlie Brooker about it. Banshee like broke this week. One thing everybody's <laughs> watching, one thing almost everybody's watching, and one thing nobody's heard of. And one thing nobody's heard of, including the person <laughs> talking about it who doesn't know the name. <laughs> And on that note, that is it for another instalment of the Pilot TV podcast. God help you all. Uh, all that remains is for me to once again exhort you to drag your fingers over to the browser address bar, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. Uh, feel free to leave some constructive comments as well, like John underscore M underscore 2510 did when he laid out the rules for his Pilot TV drinking game. To wit, take a gulp of your favourite drink when... Boyd is unrelentingly positive about a terrible TV show. Fuck off. (laughs) Boyd mentions a celebrity friend of his. Terry mentions that she used to live in New York. James goes off on one about a sci-fi show to total indifference from Boyd and Terry. Terry mentions her vagina, much to James's discomfort. And James talks about a TV show he's re-watching and Boyd sighs in exasperation. There you go. You'd be some. You'd have alcohol poisoning by the end of this one. Uh, that seems like an excellent game to me. Thank you very much for that, John M. We are as ever on all the Twitters at James C Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White. And we will be back next week when not only will we be watching the new series of Black Mirror, but we'll have Charlie Brooke and Annabelle Jones on to talk about that as well. I am now going to tee up the Picard teaser for the bazillionth time and treat Terry and Boyd to a frame-by-frame analysis. 
pilot out. Right, guys, the first thing you need to understand is that <laughs> Chateau Picard was a vintage produced by the Picard family vineyard Bye. in Le Bar, France. The head wine grower during the mid-24th century was Robert Picard, who grew a number of cheeky grape varieties by using... <laughs>